welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Do you ever worry? Don't answer that. I already know the answer to that. The whole book of Philippians is about joy. Today we're going to look at the key verse about joy in chapter 4, verse 4, where Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So many people juggle their worries. They remind me of a man driving a truck through a downtown area, and every time he stopped at a traffic light, he got out with a baseball bat, went back to the back of his truck, beat on the side of the truck, got back in, drove till he had to stop again at a traffic light. He got out with a baseball bat, beat on the side of the truck, got back in, and this went on time and time again. Finally, a man behind him drove up beside him and said, what on earth are you doing? He said, it's simple. I have a two-ton truck, I'm hauling four tons of canaries. I have to keep half of them flying all the time. <laughs> and some of you are keeping your worries that way. You know, Carl Hurley was a comedian, and he told the story about trying to get rid of a trash can. He said, it's impossible to get rid of a trash can. He said, I set an old rusty garbage can out on the street one morning thinking the garbage man would understand that it needed to be thrown away. Now, they didn't have dumpsters like we do. They had to set their garbage out. And you've been probably in towns like that. He said, when I, when I came back that afternoon, the can was stacked up with the rest of my empty trash cans. She said, so the next week, I put it out again, but this time I turned it over so he could see all the bottom had holes in it and all the rust, and when I came home that afternoon, it was stacked with all the other trash cans. The following week, I took a, a, a tire iron, and I beat up that trash can. I bent it and beat it up and put it out there by the, all the other trash cans, and when I got home, the garbage man had not only not taken it, but he had tried to straighten it all back out and stacked it right there with all the trash cans. So he said, I did the only thing I knew to do. I went to the hardware store. I bought a chain and a padlock, and I chained and padlocked it to the tree in the front yard, and that night somebody stole it. <laughs> you know, worries are like that. We, we know we need to get rid of them but we don't know how. Sometimes it's difficult. Vance Habner was an evangelist years ago. He said, I've seen more cheerful faces on iodine bottles than on some Christians. How do you have true joy? Well, first, you go to the source of ceaseless joy, and you rejoice in the person of the Lord. Look at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, the word rejoice is a command. 
It's an imperative reminding us that this is not an option. To have joy in your life and the disposition of joy and an optimistic spirit should be lived out. And if, it were, and if God commands it, it means it can be. God would not command us to do something through his word and not give us the opportunity and the ability to do it. Now, the word always is interesting because we're, we approach life all the time, every day, not only in the good times, but in the dark times. And Paul was fully aware of what he wrote when he wrote always. Rejoice in the Lord always. That means winter, spring, summer, fall. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and all day Sunday. Always. And it's interesting, that was not just a, a mild statement by him. He's making a point. He thinks about all of it, and then he says it again. Again, I will say, rejoice. Now, this was no haphazard emotion, because think of Paul. He's in a Roman prison when he's writing this. So he's in jail. Paul had been shipwrecked three times, and once... He spent a full night and day in the open sea. He had been scourged five times. He'd been stoned and left for dead. He'd been beaten with fists and rods. He had been scorned, chased, scandalized, slandered. He'd been the focus of riots and death threats. And after a near-death experience, he was snake-bitten. And yet he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Now, he's got my attention. How about you? Because I thought I had problems until I compared him with Paul, and I thought, I really don't have any. Amen? Amen? Now, if he can say always, what is his secret? In the Lord. He didn't say rejoice in your circumstances. He said rejoice in the Lord. Psalm 144.15 says, happy are the people whose God is the Lord. It says in, in Proverbs 16, 20, whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he. Listen, you're only going to have joy in your life when you're walking in harmony with the Lord because he is the source of real joy. If you've ever gone to the ocean, the Gulf, the Atlantic, or the Pacific, and you've been out there enjoying the waves that are coming in. You get out there deep enough where the waves get a little bit higher, and every now and then you'll see a wave that's coming over, and you think, if I don't get out of the way, this is going to knock me down. And so what do you do? You go underwater. Because if you go under that wave, the water is tranquil, it's still, even though it's crashing up above. Well, in a similar way, when you walk in the Lord and have a relationship with Him, no matter what's going on around you crashing, your, your joy is in the Lord. It's deep. It doesn't mean you're smiling all the time. It doesn't mean you're laughing all the time. It's not the same as happy. Happy depends on happenings. Happiness depends on happenings. I'm not always happy, are you? But that does not mean that I don't have joy in the Lord. Billy Sunday said, if you have no joy in your Christianity, you've got a leak in your faith. Because if Jesus is Lord, and Jesus is your Lord, how can you have anything but joy and assurance and peace in your heart? Someone said that joy is the flag that should be flying from the Christian's castle when Jesus is on the throne. 
Dr. Earl Henslin wrote a book called This Is Your Brain on Joy. And in that book, he says that the same path in your brain that joy and then worry and anxiety and discouragement travel, it's the same path in our brains. And they can be in there at the same time. So who are you going to give the right-of-way to? It's whatever you choose to do. If you give the right-of-way to joy, then anxiety and worry seem to get, seem to get off the road a little bit. But if you're going to focus on anxiety and worry, then the joy is driven off the road a little bit. You see, you rejoice in the Lord always. Only Christians can say that. Religious people won't say this. Only those who have a relationship with Jesus to rejoice in the Lord always, in the good times, in the dark times. Paul didn't say rejoice in your circumstances because he had anything but good circumstances. So, What's that going to lead to when you rejoice in the Lord? You're going to be a nicer person. I call it the sociability of Christian joy, of residing in the presence of the Lord. You see, the word translated gentleness in verse 5, let your gentleness, I'm using a new King James translation, and the reason I am is that I've been using it for years, and I'm too lazy to change. Plus, I just, reckon, I just know more about it that way. Anyway, that's beside the point. This word is one of the most difficult Greek words to translate into English. Your translation may say moderation or gentleness or forbearing spirit. Sometimes it's translated patience or moderation. The word's talking about a temperament and an attitude that is calm under fire. Calm under duress. It's level-headed. It's steady. It refuses to panic or overreact. You choose faith over fear. You choose trust over trembling. You choose worship over worry. It should be evident to everybody. It's the ability to keep your head when everyone else is losing theirs. And it's the way that Christians show by their life, that they have something that non-believers don't have. They, they show by the way that they handle worry and anxiety. God gives you the opportunity to show other people how a believer in God and a follower of Jesus responds to all of that. They're watching you and me. And the evidence you give to other people that you trust God is how you handle the stressful times in your life, how you go through all of that. You want your family members, your friends, your co-workers, and your neighbors to see how a real Christian handles real problems. You don't freak out and run. You don't panic. How do you do that? Paul says you need to remember something. The Lord is at hand. In other words, the Lord is near all the time. You need to learn at least four words, sometimes five, depending on how you want to say it. The Lord is near is four words. The Lord is at hand is five words. I'll let you pick. You need to keep repeating this. The Lord is near. Say it with me. The Lord is near. One more time. The Lord is near. You need to keep reminding yourself, I never go anywhere. I never do anything. I never go through anything that the Lord is not with me. 
And sometimes you feel like God left you. Where was God in all of this? I'll tell you where God was. He's standing right beside you. He's living in your life. He didn't say, I'm going to deliver you from all your circumstances. He said, I'm going to walk with you through them. I'm going to sustain you through them. The psalmist said, but it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. Psalm 73, 28. Or what did David say in Psalm 23? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the Lord is with me. You're not ever going to go anywhere that the Lord's not with you. You need to keep telling yourself that. The Lord is near. The Lord is at hand. An elderly gentleman was walking with his grandson. They had gone out to Grandpa's farm, and they were way out in the woods, and they were walking along, and he asked his grandson, how far is it back to the house? <laughs> his grandson said, uh, Grandpa, I don't know. And he said, well, do you know where you are? His grandson said, uh, no, Grandpa, I don't, I don't know where I am. And his, grandson, his grandfather, the Grandpa, kind of smiled and said, well, sounds to me like you're lost. A little boy looked up and he said, no, I can't be lost. I'm with you. And I want to tell you, that's how it is with God. He won't ever leave you. I like how Corey Ten Boom said it. When I look at the world, I get distressed. When I look at myself, I get depressed. But when I look at Jesus, I am at rest. The Lord is at hand, residing in the presence of the Lord. Then Paul mentions a hindrance to that, a stumbling block to continued joy. Look at verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. Retaining. That's when you retain the panics in your life, you hold on to all the worries. Now, this could be translated, stop worrying about anything. Or under any circumstances, don't worry about anything. It is a command. When you disobey a command of God, what's it called? Sin. The Greek word for anxious or worry Marimno, which means to divide or to rip apart or to tear apart, to be pulled in two different directions, to have our energies divided. It means to have a divided mind which bats things back and forth, back and forth, trying to decide what to do, turning the problems over and over and over in your mind till you just quit thinking. It it's a mind that's so distracted it can't think straight. It's an emotion that begins fretting and torments the mind. It's unnecessary anxiety about the future. It's anxiety about something you can't control. Some of you are worried about the future. You don't have any control over the future. But God does. Don't we, didn't we just sing? Did we sing because he lives? I thought we did. <laughs> when I get up in here, I get into another gear. But part of that song says, I know who holds tomorrow. 
Worry is undue concern about something we can do nothing about. And being anxious here is the opposite of being relaxed or resting in the Lord. And did you know this is a very common emotion among Christians? But we kind of laugh at it. Now, you wouldn't stand up and say, I'm an adulterer, or I'm a thief, or I'm a liar. But we say, I'm a worrier, we sort of laugh it off like it's no big deal. It's a big deal. Let me tell you why. Because worrying breaks the moral law of God. It destroys our bodies, it destroys our fellowship with Him, and it makes us ineffective as children of God. It's it's a dagger in the heart of God. You're really saying, God, you can't be trusted in this. I don't trust you. I don't believe you. Basically, you're saying, God, you're a liar. You're really saying you can't be trusted. It's also a denial of the Word of God. Like Romans 8, 28, that says that God works all things. He didn't say all things were good. He works all things together for the good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It's also defiance of the will of God. Jesus said in in his own sermon on, on the mount in Matthew 6, do not be anxious for tomorrow. And then he goes on to name, you're anxious about clothing, you're anxious about food, you're anxious about the future. Those were all physical attributes. Don't Don't worry. Worry is like sitting in a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but you don't go anywhere. (laughs) Now, how is that different from concern? Because we're concerned about our families. We're concerned about other people. Sometimes they're going through difficulty. You see, worry is not really concern about someone. It's just... Worrying about yourself or, or, and having anxiety over something you have no control over. Now, concern, on the other hand, is we want to do our best or fulfill our responsibility to help someone else. Paul, for example, had concern for the churches. In 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. 28, he said, Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. He wanted to help them. He was concerned about the direction they were going. He wasn't worried about himself. And when, we, when we're commanded not to worry, it doesn't mean that we're not to plan ahead. Obviously, you make plans for your future. You're setting aside things for savings and, and retirement and all, but you need to have this attitude. Even though you plan ahead, it's still in God's hand. James, the half-brother of Jesus, he said in chapter 4, verse 13, now listen you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Well, you do not even know that what tomorrow will, will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a vapor, a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, We will live and do this or that. Our plans always have the Lord written over them. The Lord is willing. Whatever God wants, I'm going to do. I'm going to make plans. But I am not going to worry myself sick over something I have no control over. At this point in my life, 
I don't know that I've got a terminal illness. I may already have it, don't know it. But I'm not going to sit around and worry about it. I, I can't. I mean, I could sit around, gosh, gosh, what if I, what if I have this? I don't know. I, I'm in God's hands. So are you. And I'm not making light of it, but some people can't do anything without worrying. It's a sin. You're saying, God, I don't trust you. So what are the steps for consistent joy? You've got to release your problems to the Lord. Now, if we're told not to worry, and it's, we're commanded, then God has provided a way for us not to worry. God's not going to ask you to do something that he didn't give you the strength and the power to do it. Amen? He may ask you to do something out of your comfort zone. He's going to give the ability and the, and the opportunity and the strength to do whatever it is. But he says, don't worry about anything. <laughs> so how do we do it? He mentions two things. First of all, you've got to trust the Lord. Folks, either you trust him or you don't. Am I right here? <laughs> I, I told the, the group at 8 o'clock, I said, you know, when I was a teenager, there was a part of me that I, I believed the Lord saved me and I trusted him for my salvation. But at, for a little while, I was a little afraid to trust him with the rest because I had in my mind that God was going to make me marry somebody ugly and move me to Africa the rest of my life. <laughs> well, there's living proof I didn't marry somebody ugly. And he brought me to Lubbock instead of Africa. And I'm a lot rather be here than in Africa. And there's nothing wrong with Africa, okay? That's just not where I belong. But I learned later, you know what? The Lord is trustworthy. So you need to take a deep breath today. And you need to give it to the Lord. Psalm 55, 22 says, cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be shaken. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Word cast means to throw them. Sometimes it was used to let a burden roll off. A man carrying, carrying a heavy burden, let it roll off. <laughs> I've used this illustration before, but sometimes when Laura comes, um, she drives up from the grocery store. I try to carry every single bag at once. <laughs> and I can tell I'm not the only one because there's other guys going... I mean, I've got big hands, and all those plastic bags, they fit on so many fingers. And, and, and I also remember when I was in college, I lived in the dorm, and I tried to carry everything I'd taken home for the weekend back at one time because I didn't want to make two trips. But you, you start up the stairs, and I lived on the second floor, middle way down the hall, and, well, by the time I got to my door, I was ready to let go of that stuff. That's the picture here. Let go of it. Let go of it. 
I want you to take a deep breath and I want you to leave it in the chair today. Let the people in 11 o'clock come and sit in your worries. <laughs> Either you trust the Lord or you don't. And you can give it to Him today. The second thing that comes from that is you talk to the Lord. Some Christians don't pray about anything. Some Christians pray about some things. God says every Christian ought to pray about everything. There are three words in verse 6 that talk about prayer. First is the word prayer. It's a general word for talking to the Lord. It involves praising God in times of joy and confiding in Him in times of sorrow and looking for Him in times of guidance and direction. I like what Mary Crowley said. Every evening I turn my worries over to God. He's going to be up all night anyway. The word supplication speaks of a sense of need. It refers to a particular, specific prayer about things which are needed and desired. You don't hang on to your problems. You give them to the Lord. And God says, hand it over to me. Believe me. Get up and think positively. I like what was written by a 17th century Frenchman by the name of Francois Fenelon. Here's his description of prayer, and I want to read it to you. Tell God all that is in your heart as one unloads one's heart, its pleasures, and its pains to a dear friend. Tell him your troubles that he may comfort you. Tell him your joys that he may sober them. Tell him your longings that he may purify them. Tell him your dislikes that he may help you conquer them all. Talk to him about your temptations that he may shield you from them. Show him the wounds of your heart that he may heal them. Lay bare your indifference to good, your depraved taste for evil, your instability. Tell him how self-love makes you unjust to others, how vanity tempts you to be insincere, how pride disguises you to, to yourself and to others. If you thus pour out all your weaknesses, needs, troubles, there will be no lack of what to say. You will never exhaust the subject. It is continually being renewed. People who have no secrets from each other never want for subjects of conversation. They do not weigh their words, for there's nothing to be held back. Neither do they seek for something to say. They talk out of the abundance of the heart without consideration. They just say what they think. Blessed are they who attain to such familiar, unreserved intercourse with God. Talk to God. He understands West Texas English. He knows what fixing means. He knows what y'all is. Talk to him. You, you can't hide anything from him. He already knows what you think. So be honest with him. If you're mad, tell him. I'm mad today, God. He's going to say, I already knew that. You'll get over it. <laughs> the third word is request. It specifies the content of prayer, formulating a definite and precise petition. In other words, nothing is too big that God can't handle it, and nothing is too small that he's not concerned about it. He made the universe. He made the atom. He's in control of both of them. So you can talk to God about everything. It says in verse 6, but in everything. Does that mean you walk around 
praying all the time with your eyes closed? Heavens, no. It's a God consciousness. When's the last time you were driving home from work and you said, God, you are an amazing artist. That is an awesome sunset. Thank you for letting me see it. Just talk to him. And then the word thanksgiving is mentioned, and it is the accompaniment to prayer. Prayer and petition relieve anxiety by trusting God. Thanksgiving relieves anxiety by accepting that what we're going through is from a loving God who loves us. And you know what? Prayer does more aligning our hearts with God than it does making God do what we want him to do. In fact, thanksgiving comes involved thanking God for the past faithfulness. Has God been faithful to you in the past? And it also tells you to thank him for what he has done for you today. It involves thanking for God what he's going to do in the future. It involves thanking God when you don't completely understand everything you're going through. You may not can see the big picture. There are some things we won't understand until we get to heaven. But you still, you still believe that God wants what's best for you? Did your children always like what you told them they could and couldn't do, but you did it because of your best interest for them? Let's make this simple. There's three boxes. This box is labeled anxiety. You don't put anything in there. This box is labeled prayer. You put everything in there. This box is labeled thanksgiving. You can put anything in there. You see, when you get everything in the right box, it doesn't mean your circumstances changed. It just means that God is working in your heart and help change you. Notice the result. Here's the best part. Verse 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The serenity of Christ's joy. You're resting in the peace of the Lord. Three places, three, three, um, three kinds of peace mentioned in the Bible. Peace with God. Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When you got saved, God immersed you in the righteousness of Jesus. He reconciled you and me to him. We are at peace with God. When we die, we don't have to worry. We're at peace with God. Amen. You only have peace with God through Jesus. You don't get it through a church. You don't get it through another religion. You don't get it through religion at all. You get it through Jesus Christ. And I could go on for an hour right there. You have the peace from God. In Romans 12, 18, it says, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. We have the peace from God in our midst today. I mean, look at us. We're all different. But the peace from God binds us together. But then you have the peace of God right here. And this peace listed is one of the fruits of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, 
Doesn't it say the fruit of the Spirit that lives in us is love? What's the second one? Joy. Imagine that. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Peace. You see, the peace of God says that even though I'm going through a difficult time, the Lord is with me. The Lord has not forgotten who I am, and he won't ever forget you. Sometimes you say, well, where was God in all of this? I'll tell you where God, he's standing right by you. He's living inside of you. He never leaves you. Two things about this peace. First of all, it's divine. It's divine. It's supernatural. It betrays logic. Somebody will ask you that doesn't know Jesus, how are you handling these circumstances? And you say, well, the Lord has given me peace. Are you serious? Peace in the midst of all of this difficulty you're going through? That's a contradiction to common sense. How can you be at peace when you're dying? How can you be at peace when you've lost a loved one? How can you be at peace when circumstances around you are awful? Because it didn't come from the church and it didn't come from the world. It comes from the Holy Spirit lives inside you because God is whispering in your ear, I've got this. And you try to tell your lost friends and they don't understand it. And the only way that you're going to find that peace is not, the trend, is not, the, it's not tranquility or the absence of conflict. It is a spiritual calm that comes from the presence of the Lord in your life. Supernatural. The world can't give it to you. You can't buy it. can't earn it. can't educate somebody into peace. It comes from Jesus. Jesus told his disciples, my peace I give to you. It's also divine protection. Guard your hearts and minds. The picture is a sentinel, a guard, standing guard over something that's important. What's God's peace standing guard over you? Your hearts and minds. Isaiah 26, 3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And this peace is in Christ Jesus. It comes through the daily fellowship with the Lord. Some of you with hair color, the color of mine, will remember an old hymn entitled, No, Not One. Do y'all remember singing that song? There's so many old hymns that I feel sorry for the generations behind us that won't ever hear them or ever see them because they have such rich truth about them. But one of the verses in that hymn says, there's not an hour when he is not near us. No, not one. No, not one. No night so dark that his love can't cheer us. No, not one. No, not one. Jesus knows all about our struggle. He will guide till the day is done. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. You will notice in verse 6, he begins with worry. And at the end of verse 7, he ends with the peace of God. I've got some great news for you. Some of you brought a boatload of worry in here with this morning. And let me tell you what you can trade it for. The peace of God. It surpasses all understanding. But the only way you can have it is when you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior. 
I wish I could give it to you. I wish Southcrest, being a member of Southcrest, give you peace. It, it doesn't. It's when you realize you're separated from God and God wants more than anything on this planet to have a relationship with you. He loved you enough that he became one of us. And he died for the penalty of sin, which we should have paid. He rose again. We've been singing about it all morning. And when you commit your life to him, God immerses you in the righteousness of Jesus. And you're made clean. And in the eyes of God, you are justified. You are without sin in his eyes. And, only, and, you know, and when people pray and receive Christ, usually the first thing they say is, I have such peace. Because you have peace with God, and you have the peace of God in your life. You may have walked in here today as a believer. You're a Christian. You know you're a Christian, but you've been watching way too much news. That doesn't do anything for me anymore. It's just depressing. So you have to balance that. Every time somebody tells you something bad on the news, you say, but God's still on the throne. But God's still on the throne. But God's still on the throne. Listen, spoiler alert, I've read the end. We win. So no matter what's going to happen around us, doesn't mean I don't want to be a good citizen. doesn't mean I want to try to make things better. But you and I are not going to change this world. This world is sinking. And only those who have Jesus Christ have a life jacket. And we're trying to hand that life jacket to as many people as we can. But if you brought worries in here, I want you to leave them in the seat. During this time of prayer, say, Lord, I do trust you. Forgive me for not trusting you. I do trust you. And I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to cast my burden onto you. Let's pray. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. 